Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. All right, Luke chapter 18, Luke chapter 18, 19. We're going to look at Luke 18, and we're also going to talk about chapter 19, because I think, you know, some, when scripture, when God gave us the scripture, he laid it out in such a way that it flows good together. And many times we just, we might know a verse or we might know a portion, but how many know that God didn't give you the scripture for you to study it that way? He actually wants you to get the whole thing. He wants you to have the whole conversation. Come on, not just a little nugget, not just a little tweetable from that. And many times we like the tweetables of scripture, but how many know that it's much deeper than that? And so Luke chapter 18, I'm just going to kind of give you a brief overview and reference some things that we talked about in our series. In Luke 18, Jesus starts off by telling a story about a persistent widow. You guys remember that? And and she just kept going after and she kept going after what she wanted. And when she got it, like she, she thanked the Lord. And then later in that chapter... We have the story that we talked about several weeks ago about blind Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus, what got him his miracle was his persistency. Remember, he shouted out and the crowd told him to be quiet and he shouted again. And so we see that that Jesus gives a story to foreshadow, a parable to foreshadow the miracle that's about to happen. Well, right after that, Jesus tells another story about a Pharisee and a tax collector. Everybody say tax collector. And, and the Pharisee was, were considered the righteous people, and tax collector, collectors are considered sinners. So they were, there's this story, this parable about them, where the Pharisee said, I thank you that I'm not like the tax collector. He was praying, and he said that, because I give my money, and I'm, I'm so religious, and I'm so devoted, not like this sinner over here. And then the tax collector is like, man, I'm broken, I'm needy, I need God. And then, and then Jesus said that, basically was saying the heart of the tax collector was the right heart, even though everybody else considered him a sinner. Then a verse verse after that, Jesus shares a story about the rich young ruler. You guys know the story about the rich young ruler who went to Jesus and and Jesus said, hey, you need to give up everything you have. You need to give up all your money and follow me. And it said that he went away sad because Jesus required so much of him. You guys remember that story? Okay. Now I'm, I'm telling you this for a reason. In between those stories, Jesus gives a very familiar passage of scripture, Luke chapter 18. If you have your Bible or your app, you can open that up and look at it. It says, one day some parents brought their little children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But when the disciples saw this, they scolded the parents for bothering him. How many of you, uh, how many of y'all are parents? How many of y'all don't like it when other people tell you what to do with your kids? So that's what the disciples were doing. Then Jesus called for the children and said to the disciples, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. Right? And we got, the, we got a song from that, right? Don't we? Jesus loves the little children. Right. Okay. Then he says this, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like, if you've got a paper bobble, you can under, underline that, who are like these children. I'll tell you the truth. Anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. So many have taken this and they say, well, the, the kingdom is for children. The kingdom is for children. Jesus is emphasizing not so much children. He's emphasizing the way that we come in to the kingdom. Now, why do, why do you have to come in like a, ki- like a kid to come into the kingdom? Because the kingdom is a family. Yes. And to come into a family, you have to be born into a family. And we all have the same father the same heavenly father. So when Jesus says, you got to come into the kingdom like a child, the reason is, is because God's your father. 
God wants to father you. And many times we have this view, society has this view of God being kind of an absent father, right? He created everything and then he went away, right? And maybe he pays child support every once in a while, but he's not involved. But that's not the picture of the kingdom. The picture of the kingdom is us children of a father. And we're part of a family. We're part of a community. And so Jesus says, listen, if you come in, you got to come like a child. The reason why you come like a child is because the kingdom is a family. So you can't come in and not be family. So if you're in Christ, you're family. Welcome to the family. Right? It's not just a nice little catchy slogan that people say. When we say welcome home, we're not just trying to have some little marketing gimmick. What we're saying is, listen, the kingdom of God is a family. And our father is the king. And he's good at that. Amen? He's a good father. Um, so then, right after this, this, this uh, we, we run into this encounter in the next chapter. Now, we're going to leave that thought for a minute. We're going to pick it right back up. And Luke chapter 19, next chapter, Jesus lays the groundwork. You're going to come in like a child. Everybody say, like a child. Luke chapter 19, we see this story. Today's encounter that we're talking about in Luke chapter 19, it's a story about a guy named Zacchaeus. Now, speaking of, you know, little kid songs, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. All right, Luke chapter 19. You guys are not singing along today, so I'll do no more references to children's songs. Um, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Now, Jericho was a huge city, and it says this, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. Everybody say Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, remember, we had another story of a man that was wealthy who went away sad. Everybody remember that? Verse three, he wanted to see Jesus, who he was, who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. Again, big city, big crowd, little Zacchaeus, this is a problem. Verse four, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Everybody say gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He was gone. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord. Here, and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. Notice that Jesus didn't even ask him. Look, Lord, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, if I've done anything wrong, I'll pay back four times the amount. In verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house. Today, Zacchaeus got saved. Because this man, too, is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek, we're familiar with this, and save that which was lost. That which was lost. So there's a couple of things that we know about Zacchaeus. Don't you love this story? A couple of things that we know about Zacchaeus is first of all, is that he's a chief tax collector. Not just a tax collector, but a chief tax, tax collector. So chief, not just chief tax collectors, but tax collectors in general in that day were considered mobsters. They were considered slimy politicians, people that lined their pockets with poor people money, and they worked for Rome. Okay, now, if you don't know this, uh, Israel at the time was under 
the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was basically coming in and subduing them, and they were controlling the children of Israel. They weren't really a free nation. And so part of the reason why people rejected Jesus is because they thought he was going to come in and liberate them from the rule of the Romans. That's why so many of the Jews rejected Jesus. So the Romans were ruling over. Well, anybody that was a tax collector was under the Roman Empire. They were hired by the Romans because they were the ones getting taxes. Are you with me? Are you tracking with me? So Zacchaeus, get this, Zacchaeus is a Jewish name. So Zacchaeus was born a Jew, now working for the Romans who were considered the enemies. So he's considered a lost son of the children of Israel because he's working for Rome. He's considered a sinner and a traitor, a filthy mobster. What, they, what these guys would do is they would go to poor people and they would jack up their taxes and they would keep part of the money and then send the rest to Rome. This is part of And, and Rome, Rome wasn't upset about it. They're like, as long as we get our portion, you kind of do whatever you want to do. So he was a dirty, sinful man. Are you guys with me? He was wrong. They called him a sinner. They were right. He was a sinner. Um, The second thing that we know about Zacchaeus is he was rich. Well, how do you think he got rich? Right? By cheating people, by being slimy, by being a mobster, uh, by being an extortionist. He was rich. The third thing that we know about Zacchaeus is Zacchaeus was vertically challenged. Right? He was a wee little man. Um, if you know anything about Jewish culture, Jewish men, you know that Jewish people aren't very tall. In those days, even smaller. So most people believe, uh, most historians believe that Zacchaeus was probably under five foot tall. That's my, I got a 12-year-old daughter, Moriah, and she's over five foot tall. So she's taller than Zacchaeus. So you, we get this image of this guy who is a sinner who has made a lot of bad choices at the expense of others, right? I mean, today he would be all over the tabloids. Everybody said he was a sinner. But there's something about Zacchaeus that's a little bit different than other sinners. He's kind of silly, right? I mean, if you know anything about Jewish culture, is that Jewish men don't run because it's not dignified for Jewish men to run. And I don't know about you, but how many people have you ever seen grown adults, even if they were vertically challenged, climbing trees. Isn't that a little bit childlike? So we see this picture of Zacchaeus of being kind of this silly guy. I mean, he, he runs it. The crowd is there. He's like looking around going, oh, oh, I want to see Jesus. I want to see Jesus. You know, everybody's like, get away from us, Zacchaeus. We don't like you. We don't like you. You know, you take advantage of our friends. And he this says this, that he runs ahead of the crowd. Inappropriate for him to run. You know, a grown man, he's a grown, well, not grown physically, but, you know, maturity-wise. And he runs ahead of the crowd, and he climbs a tree. Very inappropriate. He climbs up in a tree, and he's looking, and it says this, that he was looking to see Jesus. He was curious. See, Zacchaeus, I believe, is, an, is, is a picture of what Jesus talks about in the previous chapter, because he gives an illustration of what? A tax collector. And then he talks about coming like a child. So we have this wee little man acting like a child, running, climbing trees. Jesus said we can only come to the kingdom like a child. Now, let me break this down for you. Childlike is not the same as childish. We're not talking about 
immaturity. Well, I'm just kind of childish, so I'm irresponsible. No, Scripture is very clear about stewardship, about being responsible. Scripture actually rebukes us if we're childish and we're 40 years old. You should be responsible, right? Well, I'm just, I'm just a kid. I'm just trusting Jesus, so you know, I, I'm believing that you know, he's going to pay my bills, but you don't go to work. That's not being childlike. That's being immature. And actually, that's not a royalty mindset. That's actually a poverty mindset because you're thinking God is providing welfare for you. Right? I mean, you know, God's interested in partnership and God's interested in faithfulness. So when we talk about being childlike, we're not endorsing immaturity. Scripture says to grow up, to be mature, to grow. However, we must maintain this childlikeness about us because he's our father. We must maintain this independence. I mean, maintain this dependence on God that we make sure that we're not living independently of him in our lives. You know, the greatest example that my children show me in the faith is our kids are dependent upon us. It doesn't mean they don't have responsibilities, right? But they're completely dependent. The first thing that marked Zacchaeus as being childlike is his curiosity. His curiosity. Everybody say curiosity. curiosity. Listen, can I tell you this morning that God wants to rewild your heart? He wants to rewild your heart. Because one of the things that we do when we come to Jesus is we get religious. We start dotting our I's and crossing our T's, Right? And we put this yoke on ourselves that causes us to live in order. And so what we do is we stop taking risk. So we don't live in the life of faith. We're just living according to a strict code that keeps me in line, that keeps me looking dignified. Can I tell you that God wants to rewild you? He wants, he wants to put a sense of wonder inside of you. Remaining curious about God is something we must maintain lest we become bored spiritually. See, the problem for most of us that have been in the Lord three, four, 40 years is that whenever we come to God, we have this sense of wonder about him. We're curious about him. But as we go forward, we get that knowledge and we go, oh, I know that. And we lose our wonder. We lose our childlike wonder. And so God wants to rewild our hearts that we say, God, where can I go? Where can I run? Where can I be free? I was um, up in Oklahoma a couple days ago. Um, yesterday, actually, I drove back and I went to a uh, Wichita wildlife refuge. They have this, there's mountains in Oklahoma. It's crazy. I know, I know. They're like, they have otters at this park. Like they're natural habitat otters. It's the weirdest thing. But I'm fascinated because they have buffaloes there. And buffaloes to me, I don't know, they're just fascinating. They're just awesome. You know, they just look awesome. So they're, they're buffaloes. You know, of course they're awesome. So I drive out and I'm, you know, doing my little wannabe photography thing, taking pictures and, you know, just spending some time with the Lord, hanging out in the, the wilderness. And they have this fence and on the other side of the fence are all these buffalo. They're gorgeous, majestic, you know, the wind's blowing through their mangy wool. I mean, they're, it's amazing. But the fence is there to actually keep them wild. Because they have this zone that says people aren't allowed here because we're afraid they'll come in and either hunt or tame these buffalo. So they, they call it, what, a wild 
life refuge. They're keeping it wild. So you're not allowed to hunt the animals, unfortunately, and kill the animals and take them home and eat them, which is kind of good because it keeps them wild. So listen, God wants to rewild you. Are there boundaries? Absolutely, there are boundaries, but they're not boundaries to keep you bound. They're boundaries to keep you free. They're They're boundaries to keep you wandering. And listen, if we don't develop a sense of wandering, then our hearts will wander. So maintain your curiosity about God. Listen, God wants you to be exhilarated, but you aren't exhilarated if you're bored. And let me say this. God isn't trying to entertain you. He's not interested in your entertainment, but he is interested in your fascination because God, God is incredibly fascinating. Uh, John, the apostle John, wrote the book of Revelation. You guys know the book of Revelation? Can I, let me tell you, the book of Revelation is not the book of Revelation about the end times. Read the first verse in Revelation chapter one. You know what it says? A revelation of Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation is about Jesus. Yeah, it has some end time stuff in there, but it's a book about Jesus. It's a book about revelation of discovering who Jesus is. So it paints this beautiful. So get in the book of Revelation and start studying. It's not revelations. It's revelation of Jesus. So get in the book of Revelation and don't try to study eschatology end times. Study Jesus. See that he's a man with eyes that are burning like fire. His feet are like bronze. He's blazing like a thousand suns, yet you can still see his eyes. That tells you that his eyes are brighter than his face. This beautiful, glorious man. And then John describes him like this. In Revelation 4, verse 2, when he's, when he's seen Jesus, he said that he's like. He gets like teenager language. It's like over here and like over here. It's like this. And he says this, he says, he's like Jasper. Now understand, we did a series on this a couple years ago called Fascinate. Now it might still be in the podcast. You can go listen to it. It's a whole series devoted to the subject. And we're going to discover it a little bit more this, this year. But that word, Jasper, I started like, what is Jasper? I thought it was like some red rock, you know? And then as I studied it, I found out that Jasper is a multifaceted stone, much like a diamond. And so Jasper is probably a stone that John had never seen before. It had probably been described to him, but he probably never had one in his possession. So when he says, sees Jesus, he goes, he's, he's kind of like Jasper. I hear Jasper is like multifaceted. I remember my stepmom, um, we were sitting in church. Um, this is, you know, way back in the 90s. I was bored in church and I'm looking at her wedding ring and she had big old diamond stone on there and she's just sitting there and I'm watching as the blood pulses through her finger and her finger just moves a little bit with every pulse and that diamond just shifts a little bit and every time the diamond looked totally radiant and totally different than it did before, yet I'm looking at the same diamond. And so he uses this multifaceted way of, of looking at Jesus. He says, listen, he is multifaceted. He is fascinating. Listen, if you're bored in God, it's just because you're not looking. I'm just, you know, I've heard that. I've heard those messages. Look again. Look again. You see, the thing is, is we have this problem to where we're always looking for the next thing. And God wants us to go deeper in the thing that we currently know. You will spend, I will spend, we will spend thousands of years discovering one subject about God, the love of God. 
Well, all they ever talk about is the love of God. You know people that make those kind of statements? Well, all they ever talk about is encountering Jesus. You know people that make those statements? People that aren't encountering him. Because it's an inexhaustible description. We will spend eternity looking at him going, Wow! Holy! Holy! Did you see that? Holy! I don't even have words. I'm, it's like, like, holy! Blown away for eternity. Listen, God is absolutely breathtaking. His beauty is incredibly endless. Our wonder cannot be exhausted. So embrace, listen, it bugs me when people's like, oh, you know, God's, God's mysterious. His ways aren't our ways. It really bugs me when people say that because it's kind of like they put a period when they say that. Well, God's ways aren't our ways. Let's go over here and see if we can discover God about something over here. You know what, you know what God says? That's right. My ways aren't, aren't your ways. Yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm mysterious. Won't you come in and discover me? So God is mysterious, but he's not unsearchable. So he never, listen, God doesn't put a period when he says, I'm the father. He don't go period. He goes, I'm the father. Come and discover me. I'm mysterious. Come on. Spend the rest of your life. Spend the rest of eternity discovering me. And I think that the thing that Jesus saw in Zacchaeus is he thought, he's one that's curious. He's one that wants to be wild in his pursuit. He'll climb trees to see me. So we see this about Zacchaeus. Listen, don't always look for the next thing. Listen, if you spend the rest of your life, if you devote the rest of your life studying the love of God, awesome. I will never tell you to move on. Discover it today and then discover it a little bit deeper tomorrow. Quit moving on to the next and dig into what you know. Go to the next sometimes, but then come back to it. That's what I find. I'm like, I'll go deep into a subject. I'm like, man, I'm like going back. And then like a year later, I'm like, man, but look at this subject. Like it's, it's so good. And my heart's exhilarated and I don't get bored. And I'm telling you guys, listen, I've been doing this thing 24 years now. I've been serving Jesus for 24 years now. Is that right? 93? 24 years. And I haven't got bored yet because I keep looking. Um, these are some things that will squelch curiosity. Y'all Okay. The first thing about squelch curiosity is making excuses. See, Zacchaeus didn't go, well, Jesus is here, so I can't see him. The crowd's too big, and everybody's taller than me. So I'm, God just didn't make me tall enough to see him. God just didn't make me that way, so I can't discover him. Maybe he wants you to get curious enough that you'll make a way to discover who he is. Stop making excuses. He didn't say, I'm disqualified. I'm not tall. I'm not loud. I'm not excited. I'm not disciplined. Or I have this dysfunction. Right? I just, listen, quit disqualifying yourself. And climb out on a limb and discover who he is. Number two, the second thing that will squelch curiosity is being a know-it-all. Listen, I know you're 18 years old and you know everything. I know I did. When I was 18, I knew everything. I call it the 18 agenda. The, the most frustrating thing in my life is whenever I tell somebody something and they go, yeah, I know. 
I'm like, apparently you don't because I'm having to tell you. (laughs) Calm down, pastor. All right. Listen, we lose our wonder when we get all the answers. Listen, if you're, when you're curious, you have more questions than answers. Have you, have you ever met, having a conversation with somebody and they ask you, like, they're like, so what do you think about, what do you think about Calvinism? You know, they're like trying to get all like doctrinal. They'd be like, uh, oh man, you know, I kind of think God's sovereignty and the way it kind of works. They go, and they start telling you what they think. So they weren't really curious, right? Or you going to be whatever the subject is. What do you think about divine healing? Right? What do you think about evangelism? Right? What do you think about, <laughs> what do you think about car engines? Right? T- t- tell me about car engines. Oh, this is, well, this is what I think. You know what that, that's saying? That's like a heart that's not curious. It's just a heart that knows everything. It's full of pride. And so the re- one of the reasons why pride, God opposes the proud, is because pride goes, I know. So I don't need to know anything else. And, and I, I'm prone to that sometimes because I'm like, I've been in this thing for a little while, longer than a lot of you guys have been alive. And it's like, it'd be easy for me to just go, oh yeah, I know. And be arrogant in my experience. Come on. But man, I want to I get lost in wonder in my discovery of who he is. Number three, the third thing that will squelch curiosity, one, make excuses. Number two, being a know-it-all. Number three, looking elsewhere. Do you want to squelch your curiosity in Jesus? Just start looking at other things. You know, I, I have, I, and I'm not trying to be critical. <laughs> that means he's about to be critical. All right. <laughs> it bothers me when, like, I know people that have been serving Jesus for, like, 40 years, and they have a hobby. Not that there's anything wrong with having hobbies. I have hobbies. I, I, I'm, I roast my own coffee. That's my hobby. Like, I'm really into it. I like it. Um, but what's frustrating is when somebody has a hobby, whatever it is, you know, it could be model airplanes. It could be, you know, whatever your hobby, micro brewing beer. I don't know what it is. No, I don't want to taste. But so we have these hobbies and we devote time, energy, money, resources into it. And we are so fascinated by this subject. But when it comes to the things of God, we don't, we don't do anything, anything to provoke that wonder. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with having a hobby. But the, thing, the problem is when the hobby has us, whenever it consumes all of our time, and we go, man, I just don't have time for God. I just don't have time to learn anything about God. The reason why you don't have time is because you've lost your wonder. You found something else more fascinating. There's nothing wrong with be fascinated with other things, but what has your attention mostly? What has your attention mostly? Well, there's nothing wrong with having hobbies. You need to grow. You need to have wisdom. You need to have all that stuff. But what kind of, what kind of authority does it have in your life? That would be the question. <laughs> That's a whole other topic right there. Curiosity and authority really kind of go hand in hand because it commands our attention. It demands our attention, whatever we're curious about. It's like when I was walking through these trails on Friday up in these mountains, like curiosity kept me going. I was like, man, I want to get back so I can go discover another trail, right? And I'm like walking down this trail and I get, I, I get to the point of the trail and I'm like, oh, I can just go a little further. And the next thing I know, like I'm a full hour in and I plan on being out there for 20 minutes. What kept me going? My curiosity. What am I going to do? I was just curious. Well, what's on the, what's on the other side of that hill? 
right? You guys, you guys, men know, know this, right? We're like, I wonder what's over there. Cause we have, we're born with a sense of wonder. So looking elsewhere. So ask God questions. God, what are you like? Not why did this happen? Listen, the greatest question that you could ask when going through a difficulty is not why did this happen? That's not discovering wonder. The best thing to ask when you're going through difficulty is say, God, who are you? Because all that you need to get through that struggle is a revelation of who he is. It's better than resolve. Y'all okay? So the key to being more Christ-like is simply being more Christ-focused. Well, man, I'm working so hard to be like Jesus. I'm working so hard. You need to quit working so hard and start looking harder. How about rest a little bit and look? How about sit down and open the Bible and spend some time letting those pay, not just reading the word, but letting the word read you? Get into the word until the word gets into you. That's just not very exciting to me. It's because you're not spending any time in front of it. Nothing's exciting until you start investing time into it. Jumping, jumping out of airplanes is not exciting to me. But if I did it once, it might become exciting. With a parachute. That's right. Number two. So the first thing is curiosity. I'm not going to spend as much time on gladness as I did on that. The second thing is gladness. It says this, that Jesus welcomed him gladly. Now, I might be going out on a limb here, but I believe that Zacchaeus actually possessed gladness, and I'm going to show you why. Evidently, Jesus was upbeat, right? But upbeat, gladness reciprocates, right? If you smile, I smile. If I laugh, you laugh. But if I'm like, What kind of response am I going to get? So we see this reciprocating joy, I believe, from Zacchaeus up in this tree with wonder going, I want to see what he's going to do today. Maybe he'll make me grow six inches. (laughs) Right? Looking at Jesus from the tree. So Jesus calls him. I believe that Jesus initiated joy when he called him. Because as we've been studying through this series, Luke 12, 32 says that it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So Jesus isn't like, Zacchaeus, do you want the kingdom? Right? Because he doesn't invite us to the kingdom with that kind of mindset. He doesn't invite us to the kingdom. that It's his pleasure to bring us the kingdom. The kingdom of God is what? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So you don't get to, you don't get, well, you know, I'm just not really a joyful person. Great, get in the kingdom, then you'll become joyful. Or let the kingdom get into you and you'll be more joyful. Listen, the lasting impact of our encounter, how we encounter the Lord, will be determined by how much of the joy of the Lord is present to carry them out. The joy of the Lord is your Strength. So listen, the lasting impact, let me read this again, of our encounters will be determined by how much of the joy of the Lord is present to carry them out. 
Listen, if you don't possess the joy of the Lord, then you might get into heaven one day and you're going to go in and you're going to be full of baggage. Your eyes are going to be drained. You're going to be wore out. You're going to be tired. You'll pass through the pearly gates and you'll be like, well, here I am, Lord. I served you for 30 years full of faith and it was hard. Don't I get some kind of merit for it being hard? He's like, no. But you could have enjoyed it a lot more. You would have been a lot more effective. It would have been a lot more fun if you would have been happy about it. Can I tell you today that as believers in Christ, we set the thermostat for the joy in our life. Jesus said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Guess what a fruit of the Spirit is? Joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit just like patience is. Guess what's not a fruit of the Spirit? Meanness. A sense of justice. We need to have a sense of justice. But what, what, what is your face saying about justice? That you're angry? Or is it a God that loves who wants reconciliation? I, uh, I've hit on this a little bit, man. I, I went through this season. This, I had a spirit of discouragement on me. And one of the things that, that I, I, I uh, was able to pinpoint after I got beyond it is that I quit laughing. I quit laughing. I quit. It, it, life wasn't fun. Can I tell you that God wants you to enjoy this life in him? He wants to be the source of joy in your life. You say, well, joy is not happiness and not laughing. Listen, if you're not laughing, if you're not happy, you don't have the joy of the Lord. It will drive happiness. It will drive laughing. Scripture says that laughter is good medicine. Some of you just need to laugh. You know, sometimes I'll just, there's this comedian I like. He's real clean, just so you know, (laughs) named Brian Regan. And sometimes I'll just watch his stuff just so I can laugh because I need to laugh. I need to laugh because I want this journey to be full of joy and I want to be a joy giver to those around me. What kind of joy are you contributing? Joy is just like everything else. You got to give it to get it. Everything in the kingdom, you give it to get it. You don't get it to give it. You give it to get it. That's the way it works in the kingdom. Bang, that'll preach. That's on next series. All right. We're called to produce joy. The same joy that drove Jesus to a tree, it says in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, for the joy that was set before him. The same joy that drove Jesus to the tree is the same joy that drove Zacchaeus down the tree. It was the joy of the Lord. And we know this because he comes down. This is, let me go back to the verse here. Immediately, he came down immediately and welcomed him gladly. Gladness. Gladness. How are you welcoming the presence of God in your life? Is it gladness? Or are you freaked out? Or are you scared because he's going to come and spank your butt? That's why when we come into worship, man, we, we try to get it, get you guys moving. We're like, come on, sing. We want the spirit of gladness in this place because God wants you to experience freedom in your life. God wants you to be strong. And then listen, if the devil can get your joy, he will get your strength. He gladly, listen, 
It says this, that he gladly gave up everything. Zacchaeus was like, okay, Lord. Jesus didn't even have to ask for the money. He's like, okay, Lord, I've been cheating people. I have it all. I'll give all my money to the poor. I don't even need money. Money's been my source of entertainment. You're, you're the one I'm going to be fascinated by now. And so he's full of gladness at this moment. And he gives up. He said, if, if anybody, you know, if I've cheated anybody, I'll pay him back four times. Again, Jesus didn't demand those things. He gladly gave them up. A lot different than the man in the chapter previous that went away sad and gave up anything. The difference is these men didn't, one knew what he was getting, the other didn't. Something better than money. How many know that God doesn't have a problem with wealth, by the way? God doesn't have a problem with wealth. In fact, God has a problem with poverty. Not poor people. God loves poor people. That's why he hates poverty. Because poverty is destructive. So God's answer to poverty is wealth. So God wants you to be wealthy. That doesn't mean that you have a limo and live in a multi-million dollar home. But God means that you will have more than enough so you can be a blessing to others. So when we do these declarations over our finances, we're saying, God, I want more money in my hand because my money will answer the needs and the cries of the poor, of those that need. Let me just say this, the last thing about gladness, because sometimes we think, we think God is more impressed by our discipline than he is our joy. I'm more spiritual because I'm disciplined. Last I checked, fruit of the spirit, joy is one of them, just as discipline is. Holiness that isn't happy isn't holiness. You, you've met a lot of holy people that weren't happy. They're not very holy. Come on. That mean spirit is not holy. That's not holiness. It's not holiness at all. Oh, you can't wear makeup. You can't do this. You can't do that. That's not holiness. Holiness is conforming like Jesus. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Jesus is a man full of joy. I need to hurry. How do we cultivate childlikeness? How many of y'all want that? Man, you want gladness. You want curiosity. How do you do it? Number one, position yourself. Get a better view. Climb out on a limb. What adjustments are you willing to take? What kind of risk? I'm sure it was risky for him. I, I know he was short, but he, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're grown, you, you put weight on. And that weight had to go somewhere. He probably, he, you know, he probably a little, he might not have been pudgy, but he was at least stocky if he was a grown man. Right? He could have broke that limb that day. But he's willing to get out there, put himself out there on that limb to see Jesus. What kind of room are you making to wonder? We call that taking risk. We call it faith. Get rid of the things that might distract you. For him, it was money. Man, anything that might distract me, I'll give it up. And there's nothing sinful about money. He would have given up anything to follow Jesus. Number two, respond to the invitation. You know, we talk a lot about inviting Jesus into our heart. That's kind of become the gospel, right? Just invite Jesus into your heart. How many know that 
Jesus isn't interested in you inviting him into your heart. I'm going to fix it. Just sit there. Listen. Jesus is inviting himself into our life. Just like he did Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus it wasn't Zacchaeus' idea for Jesus to come over. Jesus said, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm staying at your house today. So really, to get the terminology right, God is inviting himself into your life. Jesus is inviting himself into your life. It's not your idea, it's his. And he wants to invite himself into your life. He wants to break into your life and change everything. Psalm 36, I love this right here. Let me read this. This falls in line. How precious is your unfailing love, O God. All humanity finds shelter in the shadow of your, your wings. You give them from the abundance of your own house, letting them drink from your river of delights. God is inviting you to come and drink from his river of delight. His river of gladness. His river of curiosity. He wants you to be delighted in him. He's inviting you. He's inviting himself. How rude. Right? (laughs) How rude he was to Zacchaeus. I'm inviting myself. Number three. Posture yourself. Posture yourself. How did Zacchaeus posture himself? He said, I'll give up everything. I'll give up everything. He embraced clean. A couple of things here. Listen, whenever it said, I came to seek and save that which was lost, Zacchaeus was considered a lost sheep. He had abandoned the Jewish way and went to work for the Romans. So when Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which was lost, and then he, then he talks about him being a true son of Abraham. Abraham's the father, family, the father of the family of the Jewish nation. Zacchaeus was excommunicated from the family. So when Jesus approaches him, he calls him by his Jewish name, Zacchaeus. Are you tracking with me? He says, Zacchaeus, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. You know what the name Zacchaeus means? Pure. Everybody else was looking at Zacchaeus and they were saying, sinner. There goes Jesus hanging out with sinners again. And Jesus looks at Zacchaeus and goes, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. They're all calling you a sinner. I'm calling you pure because I'm coming to your house. And I'll take care of the clean in the house. Pure man, son of Abraham. You are a, you are a child. Of, that's what he says. He's a true child of Abraham. Welcome back to the family, Zacchaeus. Pure one. Everybody else is calling you a sinner. You're mine. Welcome back to the family. Jesus prophetically called him that. And he followed through. You know, in the old covenant, if you touched unclean things, you became unclean. But in the new covenant, clean things touch unclean things and the unclean thing becomes clean. That's what Jesus did with the lepers. 
the law said that Jesus was unclean for a touch and him, but Jesus transformed them and made them clean. And this is what he did to Zacchaeus that day. Listen, I know we've been long today, but listen. God wants, or God is inviting himself into your heart today, into your life today. He's inviting himself. And what he wants is you just to respond to his invitation. That you'll say, yeah, yeah, Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll drink from that river called the light.